Welcome back to The Shelf Oddities. I'm Serafina. And I'm Eri. And Serafina, what oddity are you feeling like today? This week, I am feeling like a old, decrepit, drive-in movie theater sign. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's a good pick. Thank you. I am feeling like a bowl of freeze-dried crow's feet on the counter of some oddity weird witchy shop just you know hanging out i love that for you me too (laughs) it's quite the vibe so before we get into today's topic which we're talking about the exorcist and some other things related to the exorcist the movie i want to talk about a really cool gift that a friend of mine got for me it's horror movie related i promise and it is one of the most insane things someone has ever gotten to me ever. I don't actually know what it is. I'm very excited. No, it's very fun. So I love 80s horror. In the horror community, there are people who love it and there are people who hate it. I am a lover. I love practical effects. I think they're fantastic. I like a good um, Play-Doh looking arm that gets destroyed with weird (laughs) ketchup blood. I'm a fan. I love it so, so much. So my friend Brad got me a plush of a very obscure character. What? So, first off, to set the scene here, there's a series of movies called House, okay? Okay. Made in the 80s. All right. House 1 is a practical effects horror. Um, there's, like, a dude in a house, and the house is haunted with, like, oh. spooky ghosts and stuff. It's all practical okay. effects. It's very fun. House 2... <laughs> is more of a comedy. It is. It, it, it has completely gone off the rails of being oh. a horror. It doesn't care about horror. It's just, you know, kind of horror adjacent. Okay. So it's about this guy who inherits a house, and every room of the house is a different time period. What? So there's, like, a cowboy room. There's, like, an Aztec room. There's a Jurassic dinosaur room. My room, where Your I room, live. Where yeah. you live. Well, in the Jurassic dinosaur room, when they go into that room... There is a creature in that room who is called Bippy. Bippy is a catter puppy. Which I is, know Bippy. You told me about yes, Bippy. Yes, Bippy, one of the loves of my life's. He is exactly as it sounds. He has a caterpillar body and a dog head. And he is an amazing practical effects puppet from this movie in the 80s. Wow. I am also the type of person that when I want... When I like something... I want to buy all of the merch yeah, for that thing you in really existence. really go all out. Bippy is so obscure that merch does not exist for Bippy. Poor Bippy. There is a single t-shirt, and I own it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Brad managed to find one of those websites that, like, makes plushies off of images that you send in. Genius. He commissioned an artist to do a version of Bippy so that it wasn't copyright. Damn. Sent it in and got a plush made. So the plush wow. of Bippy that I now own is the only plush of Bippy in existence. That's fucking rad. It's fucking amazing. That's so, so this cool. Very obscure character <laughs> that no one else cares about except for me. I own a plush now. What a smart gift. It was fucking awesome. I'm do you have a picture? Happy. Um, I do, and we'll put it on the Instagram. Good. Yeah. Oh my god, what a homie. Obsessed. That's so cool. So now that we've covered a very obscure eighties <laughs> movie, <laughs> let's go to the most popular one ever made. Yeah, let's go to <laughs> one of the most popular ones ever made in the 70s, 73 to be exact. So today I'm going to cover the 
plot of The Exorcist, what The Exorcist is based off of, and then The Exorcist Curse. So, buckle up, because we're getting into it. Hell yeah. Most of the information from this episode will come from the Cursed Films episode that's on Shudder. We're not sponsored by Shudder, but we probably should be because I consume enough content from them that I feel like, you know, Shudder, hello, are you listening? (laughs) (laughs) There are also additional resources in the show notes, as per usual, uh, but most of the, like, ooh, spooky curse, exorcist stuff is from that episode, which the whole series is very good, and I'll probably end up covering other movies that were included in that list because it's just really cool. I um, love a cursed film. Me too. There's something about it. Wizard of Oz. Yes. That one's gonna be very fun. Oh. So I absolutely love horror movies as we know. Uh, they became a special interest of mine over the past few years and that means I obsess over every single detail specifically the stuff that no one else cares about and I will maintain that information forever which means that stuff like this is very special to me. So, fun fact, The Exorcist is one of the most profitable horror movies ever made. It made 441.3 million sales in just the box office. Really? Yes. That's like Avengers Endgame level for the 70s. 73. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. I was very impressed. So, a quick summary of the plot for those of you who have not seen The Exorcist or if you just kind of know about it. Um... The basic plot of the movie is that a young girl plays with a Ouija board and begins acting very strangely. She begins levitating, speaking in different languages, fun-colored vomiting, as most people know. (laughs) Her mother takes her to all doctors imaginable to try to find the cause, but to no avail. So once she's exhausted everything, she reaches out to a priest to request an exorcism be performed on her daughter. Hmm. So the exorcist is what I consider to be, quote, horror that especially impacts Christians. Yeah, it's uh, Christianity horror porn. Yes, exactly. Because it takes their fear of the devil and demons and shows that there's a very physical type of nature. Something that's like actually tangible. These films are meant to show you that evil does actually exist. The exorcist proves that Christianity and the church are also the answer to that because an exorcism fixes all the problems. The good guys are the people of faith. As part of the movie's publicity campaign, they quoted Pope Paul saying, Demonology is an important part of Catholic doctrine that really ought to be studied again. So Mm. we're really pushing that narrative. Wow. In the Cursed Films episode, Doug Cowan, a professor of religious studies, calls horror and religion cultural siblings. I thought this was amazing. I've never thought of it before. I'm typically anti-religion, as we know. So... He was just talking about how horror and religion deal with the same questions. Where do we go when we die? How did we get here? Does life have any meaning? Is there a god? Why do we suffer? And he's right. Yeah, the first time that was ever brought up to me was actually after watching The Conjuring. Fair, yeah. Because a lot of what the Warrens did was like Christian horror porn, basically. I would definitely agree with that. I think I mentioned The Conjuring Oh, do you? Because it's a branch of this genre, basically. So let's go into some key players for The Exorcist, because we'll be mentioning a lot of these names. So um, Billy Friedkin was the director. Linda Blair played Regan McNeil. She was the possessed little girl. Um, Ellen Burstyn, she played Chris McNeil, which is the mom. Max von Sydow played father Leicester Marin. He was the older priest. Jason Miller 
played Father Damien Karras. He was the younger priest. And then Eileen Dietz uh, was hired because they thought that Linda Blair was too young to do the masturbation scene. So she would end up playing um, the masturbation scene, the vomiting scene, and the levitation scene. She also got to play Pizzazz's face, which is briefly shown. For the purposes of this podcast, I will not be saying the name of the actual demon because it is actually a demon. And I know that some people don't want to put that energy into the world. I don't want to put that energy into Me the world either. either bitch. So we calling him Pizzazz. Pizzazz. His name is Pizzazz. I love that. I did re-watch this movie just to have it fresh in my brain for this episode. Fun fact, it's two hours long, and that's with removed scenes. Is it really? It is. Wow. It still looks amazing for being filmed in 73. Honestly, the practical effects were- I was were, gonna say. They looked good, They and they still do look good. All the makeup, everything, it still holds up. And it's a classic, so. That's why I think it scared so many people so deeply. It's like, it's like Jurassic level Tyrannosaurus Rex level yeah. of- practical effects also the marketing which we'll get into a little bit later (laughs) so the movie is based on william peter blatty's novel the exorcist which was inspired by the actual 1949 exorcism of a young boy from cottage city maryland and the horrifying 1634 Dunn exorcisms this is where i mentioned that exorcisms put victims through indescribable amounts of abuse I'm probably going to cover more exorcisms in the future because it's a very interesting topic, but it is fucking abuse. Truly, the reality of the situation is that some of the people being exorcised aren't impacted by demons. They're suffering from mental health issues, being weird, being women, etc. Amen. And are then put through extremely harrowing and disgusting conditions to achieve the exorcism. There are many exorcism cases where victims lost their lives because of the abuse. Fucking wild. I will stand on that high horse. (laughs) That is my soapbox. Because we want to talk about exorcism like they're whoa spooky fun. It's gross. Some of it is gross. So first, I'm going to start with the exorcism of Roland Doe or Robbie Mannheim. Most of this information came from an article on allthatsinteresting.com called Inside the Harrowing Exorcism of Roland Doe, The True Story Behind the Exorcist by William DeLong. The boy's name was not actually Roland Doe or Robbie Mannheim. This was utilized to keep him anonymous because all of this happened when he was 14 years old. I mean, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, you can find his real name online. I oh, will not, fucking course. I will not be mentioning Thank it you, because I appreciate that's not appropriate. That. Roland's story happened in the late 1940s and supposedly went like this. Roland expressed his interest in Ouija boards to his Aunt Harriet. She supposedly, being a spiritualist, taught him how to use one. Great. Shortly after Aunt Harriet died in January 1949, Roland began experiencing strange and unexplainable things. He heard scratching sounds coming from the floors and the walls of his room. Water dripped unexplainably from pipes and walls. His mattress would suddenly move, which Mm. no fucking thanks. Don't love that. Roland's family sought the help of every expert they knew. The family consulted doctors, psychiatrists, and their local Lutheran minister, but they were no help. Father E. Albert Hughes, the local Catholic priest, asked his superior's permission to perform an exorcism on the boy in late February of 1949. The church granted Hughes' request. So, fun fact, there's like, I tried to look more into this but couldn't find too too much. There's like a bunch of 
things you have to things that have to be happening to get approval for the exorcism to occur. Basically. Yeah, there's like a list of requirements. Yes. Yeah. Roland was strapped to his mattress to perform the first exorcism. This one was unfinished because Roland broke off a piece of the mattress spring and slashed the priest across his shoulders. What the fuck? Yeah. You gotta be real strong for all that. You literally, like, had to have shoved his hand through the mattress, right, to get to the spring? Yeah. It's a lot. That is a lot. A few days later, red scratches appeared on the boy. One of the scratches formed the word Lewis. L-O-U-I-S. Not Lewis. A Uh, One Directioner? (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) A cousin of the family was attending St. Louis University at the time of Roland's struggles. She put the... Hunklers in touch with Father Walter H. Halloran and Reverend William Bodern. After consulting with the university's president, these two Jesuits agreed to perform an exorcism on young Roland with the help of several assistants. So when they saw the word Lewis, they were basically like, that means St. Louis. Mm. And then, I mean, it really did because their cousin ended up finding the two priests that would ultimately take over and keep performing the exorcisms. That is interesting. The priest noticed that Roland was calm and normal during the day, but at night, after settling in for bed, he would exhibit strange behavior, including screaming and wild outbursts. Sundowners. Roland would also enter a trance-like state and start making sounds in a guttural voice. Uh. No, thank you. The priests also said they saw objects mysteriously flying in the boy's presence and noted that he would react violently when he saw any sacred object presented by the intending Jesuits, which Hmm. I feel like is fairly common. Yeah, in cases like this, definitely. At one point during the weeks-long ordeal, Bowdern reportedly saw an X appear in scratches on Roland's chest, which the priest believed signified the number 10. This is important because the priest basically assumed that this meant that Roland was possessed by 10 demons. I feel like one demon is enough. I mean, that's like a huge jump (laughs) to make. Right? Like, it's an X. I mean, it could have just been, they, I don't know. It could have just been like, that's the treasure. Yeah. marks the spot, (laughs) maybe, like. But a very, yeah. Hmm. The repeated scratching and other demonic incidents happened every night for more than a month. Let us revisit what I said earlier about how exorcisms put their victims through extreme abuse. Yeah, for a month, these things were happening. A month. A month. Oh my god. Finally, Roland's parents took him to Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis for more serious treatment. It didn't even work. (laughs) A whole month, and they had to take him elsewhere. And they had to take him to a hospital, Holy which shit. he probably should have been taken to a hospital first. Um, yeah, we should have started there. On April 18th... My Ro- birthday. <laughs> what? Oh, that's my birthday, Oh, uh, no. Oh, no. Roland awoke with seizures. He yelled at the priest, saying that Satan would always be with him. The priest laid holy relics, crucifixes, medals, and rosaries on the boy. At 10.45 p.m. that evening, the attending priest called on St. Michael to expel Satan from Roland's body. They shouted at Satan, saying that St. Michael would battle him for Roland's soul. Seven minutes later, Roland came out of his trance and said, he's gone. And then I was born. And then then Serafina was born. (laughs) Shit. One of ten demons. One of ten demons. The boy recounted that he had a vision that St. Michael vanquished Satan on a great battlefield. We've all seen that supernatural episode, baby. (laughs) 
The strange occurrences and behavior ceased after that. I have a bullet in here that says, Is it sus to me that getting this boy into a hospital is when shit started to clear up? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, they, like, got him on a saline drip and a little bit of lithium, and he's like, yeah, he gone. Don't worry about it. Like, I just... That's uh, rough. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go into the possessions at Ludun. Most of this information came from an article on the Columbian College website. So, the Ludun possessions were among the most notable and scandalous episodes of demonic possession in France in the 17th century. I don't think I know any of this. I've never heard this either. I'm just going to tell you, it pisses me off. Oh, no. It's going to piss you off, too. Buckle in, kids. It was alleged that a parish priest, Urbain Grandier, had made a pact with the devil and a group of Ursuline nuns came forward claiming that they had been sexually assaulted by Grandier as well as visited and possessed by the devil. Their symptoms included fits, convulsions, and speaking in tongues. Over a period of several years, exorcisms were performed during which nuns barked, screamed blasphemies, and acted out obscene contortions. It's almost like they were being tortured. I would say a little bit. Yeah. As hysteria around the episodes increased, public exorcisms were performed. They became something of a tourist attraction. Not the Salem Witch France Museum. Speaking of, several witches were tortured along with Grandier himself, who was burnt at the stake in August 1634. Ugh, okay. So, doubts were raised about the truth behind the nuns' testimony because, you know, they were probably tortured into confessing, as most people who confess to witchcraft and demon possessions are slash were. Yeah. They'd confess to whatever they had to make the torture stop. Of course. Which is still a tactic used today. Yep. According to some accounts, the accusations were part of a conspiracy. The nuns were asked to feign possession in order to discredit the handsome and, quote, immoral priest grandeur who had become something of an embarrassment of the church. I'm sorry? Yep. Excuse me? My bullet here just says yikes in all caps. Yeah, what the- okay. Wonderful. Disgusting. God damn it. The Ludon possessions aroused suspicion about the value of eyewitness testimony and the authenticity of intense spiritual visions. Because they were forced into lying to protect this fuckwit. Who they ended up killing anyway. Yep. What in the fuck? Oh my god, yeah, no wonder. Thanks. I hope y'all, I th- I hope y'all are buckled in. Jesus Christ. Yeah, thanks to the church. The church. God bless. So, let's start talking about the curse associated with the exorcist. I wanted to talk about the exorcisms because that is the basis of the exorcist story. So, I've never seen the exorcist because, um, you know, sometimes I just don't be fucking with those kind of movies. And uh, I was warned as a small child, like, it really scarred my mom. So, she was like, don't ever watch it if you, like, you know like your sanity and sleeping at night so i never did so i know you went a little bit into the plot earlier so before we get into the curses are there in talking with the exorcisms we just went through do they completely mirror that with her like is it like i know like the pea soup jokes and all of that but like is is this like is it abusive like is she like going or is like it's the demon So, in The Exorcist, when she is possessed, she physically changes. And you can see the physical change, right? Like, she becomes all, like, rotting-looking, all gross-looking. 
So the implication there is that there's that's the demon, right? Sure. But it's inside of her, so it's still her physical body. Right, right. And the exorcism itself, which I'm sure it's not the same as like an actual Catholic exorcism, yeah. but basically she is tied down to the bed. Okay. They do sit around her and go read Bible verses to her yeah. where like she's obviously having like a bad reaction to it because right. the demon's having a bad reaction to it. They put holy water on her to, you know. Yeah. And they're basically trying to bait the demon to like admit, you know, who it is gotcha. so that anytime a demon gives their name that like, you have power against them is like the whole thing. But yes, I would consider it I mean in the Exorcist, you're definitely... It's easier to be like, oh, that's the monster. We're torturing the monster. But yeah. you forget that there's a, a little, little girl. girl in there. Well, because, like, sometimes my problem with horror movies is, like, I don't need to see women being tortured. Like, sure. women go through enough, like, in our day-to-day. Like, I don't need <laughs> all of that. So that was my question. It was, like, does it... And you answered it. Like, you are rooting for them to get the monster out. You forget yeah. it's, like, a little girl. Interesting. Yes. Thanks for explaining that to me. I'm a pussy, so I'm probably never gonna <laughs> watch The Exorcist, but I am very interested in the story. So, I want to talk about what hyped up the supposed curse associated with The Exorcist. Um, basically, PR teams and the director pushed for people to buy into the hysteria or curse to really hype up the movie. Oh, really? Of course. I thought the curses came out after the movie. No. It came out before. So it actually came out, so as the movie came out, there were advertisement campaigns, and I think I go into it a little bit, where they were basically saying, you can't see this movie, you'll get sick, it causes fainting. Like, they hyped up the movie being cursed itself without all of the other things that's so interesting that lead to like it maybe being actually cursed. do you know what's interesting about that netflix does that now like netflix will release a movie and then like get some uh, like random facebook place to like post a meme about people can't get halfway through this movie without yeah. passing out or yeah, throwing yeah. up yeah that's interesting that like that that tactic's been around for a minute i mean it worked it made tons of money clearly so There were stories about how projecting the film would invite demons into the theater. Oh. Just because, you know, it's on film, so. Sure. One of the trailers actually had to be removed because it was very seizure-inducing. Oh, we love that. Yeah, I did see, like, some of it when I was watching the episode on Shudder, because they do show part of it. I don't have any problems with, like, light sensitivity or any of that. I probably would have had a hard time watching it because of how... That doesn't even seem to make sense with the story. We're just hyping it up. I hate that. The PR teams leaned really hard into the movie fucking people up. Stories were passed around about people fainting or becoming ill while watching the movie. The other appeal that was leaned on was that this movie was based on a quote, true story, which like loosely, but go off, I guess. (laughs) But at the end of the day, what really sucks about this is that all of this really painted Linda Blair as evil or actually demon-possessed, and they painted her as the devil. That's insane. It's sad, also. Yeah. Linda was asked if she was mentally ill or impacted by the movie. People would literally see her and run away from her in fear. Wow. Let's remember, this is a 12-year-old child. Yeah, she's a baby. She, yes. This really impacted her career and really impacted the rest of her life. Yeah. The cool thing that I want to mention, though, about the horror community is that we love who we love and are into what we're into, and she still does horror conventions, I believe, 
and you know this movie's a cult classic so the fans are going to be fans of her forever so really you know I mean to do one movie at 12 and your name is an iconic thing forever yep you're a legacy it sucks that it started the way it did but times do change so I did want to talk about what she's doing now because when you're talking about The Exorcist a lot of people forget that she really was a victim right and she just wanted to be a veterinarian as a kid She loved animals, and she still does love animals. So Linda now runs the LBWF, or Linda Blair World Heart Foundation. Their mission, which can be found on lindablairworldheart.org, is listed as the below. LBWF is an animal and human welfare organization. Our mission is to alleviate suffering while rescuing, rehabilitating, and rehoming abused, neglected, and abandoned animals. We aid in crisis situations while educating, encouraging, and empowering the public to make a difference in the lives of those whom have no voice. Wow. Like, good for her. That's impactful. I do talk more about her in the rest of this, but I wanted to get to the good stuff first. Yeah. Because she's a fucking good person. Yeah. I feel so bad for her as a kid, but I am very proud of what she's done for herself. Yeah, absolutely. What a cool way to use your trauma. I mean, really. Really. To rebuild like that. So let's get into what made the film actually cursed or why people think it's actually cursed outside of just marketing. What about our man's pizzazz? (laughs) Not pizzazz. (laughs) Pizzazz is basically the icon of the movie. Sarah Graff, who is an associate curator at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, stated that, quote, the people who made The Exorcist definitely did their research, end quote. Hmm. The movie opens up with an excavation in Hatva in northern Iraq. Pizzazz does actually come from northern Iraq. What the That's real. Fuck, okay. The giant statue of Pizzazz that's shown at the beginning of the movie is actually larger than any image we would typically see of that demon. He's usually smaller, amulets, things of that nature. They mentioned that it would be, quote, dangerous to make a demon of his power on such a large scale. Oh, shit. Does that hold any weight to the curse? Probably. Because they made a giant pizzazz and put him in there? Hate that. Maybe. So let's go into some things that actually occurred on the set during the filming of The Exorcist. There was a mysterious fire on the set where the only room left untouched was Reagan's bedroom, while most of the set was consumed. That is interesting. Luckily, this happened at night and no one was injured. That's good. Absolutely. After the fire, a Jesuit priest was brought onto the set to bless it. Damn, they were moved. They were... I mean, I don't blame them. That's uh, yeah, I don't either. the demon's bedroom. Yeah, I'm fucking with that. Linda Blair was hooked into a harness that could be manipulated to make her appear to be possessed and flail around mm. in the bed basically inhuman movements or that she wasn't moving herself during one take she was actually not laced in properly when they started doing the the movements and it actually fractured her lower spine holy shit they thought that when they were filming that scene her screams were just really good acting but they were legitimate and that is the take that is in the movie that's fucking terrifying yes Oh, this poor 12-year-old. And that energy is in that film. I now. hate that. Yeah. I hate that. In the scene where Reagan slaps her mom across the room, they had Ellen Burstyn on a rope that was being pulled to no, mimic. I'm already out. Billy Friedkin didn't like the first take and told the dude pulling the rope to, quote, 
give it to her? No. The result is Ellen being actually injured during the movie, or during that scene. And of course, that's the take that ended up in the movie. What the fuck? Oh my god. Blood, sweat, and tears. I get chills, like, talking about that. I literally hate this. It's it's not... I hate this. It's not great. But I I did want to mention it because when things like that happen on the set and you're catching it on film that energy is preserved forever those screams are real ew i hate that yeah so let's go into some deaths that occurred in association with this movie multiple deaths of family of cast members and people who had worked on the production occurred linda blair's grandfather died max von sidow's brother died on the first day of filming A special effects expert who was supposed to keep the set cool died. Jack McGowan, he played Burke Dennings. The actor died tragically before the film was released on January 30th, 1973 of complications from influenza, which he'd contracted while in London during a flu epidemic. Barton Heyman, he played Dr. Klein. Barton died after the film was released on May 15th, 1996 due to heart failure at the age of 59. That on its own doesn't sound that scary, but I'm gonna read you a couple more deaths that were heart-related. Hmm. We're already at five deaths right now. Yeah. Okay. And there's more. Oh my gosh. Lee J. Cobb, who played Lieutenant William Kinderman, on February 11th, 1976, the actor behind the character died of a heart attack at the age of 64. Vasiliki Malieros, Father Karras' mother, who does die in the film, died before the film was released on February 9th, 1973, with her inquest stating her death was due to, quote, natural causes. But it's weird, right? She died in real life, and her character died in the film. Mercedes McCambridge was the voice of the demon. On March 2nd, 2004, Mercedes died of natural causes. Jason Miller, who played Father Karras, died at 62 of a heart attack on May 13th, 2001, at his home in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And then Max von Sydow, who played Father Marin, died on March 8th, 2020, and there were no causes given for his death. I tried to look into it, nothing listed. So we have eight people before 1980, and then we have two people in the 200 or 2000s. Uh, it was three people in like the, the 2004 through 2020, yeah. That's wild. Oof. The heart attack thing gives me chill. That's so... That's so much. I mean, it's so... Okay, if you don't believe in, like, a curse or anything like that, it's like, imagine The Conjuring, right? A scary movie, but ten people within a decade, if not even before the movie comes out, die? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's weird. It's weird. It's not, like, don't get me wrong, people die, but, like, look at how big Marvel is. Marvel has hundreds of casts. They've had one cast member die Mm -hmm. during 22 years. Like, that's, well, I mean, I guess they've had a couple of, like, older, like, Stan Lee, but, I mean, we're talking, like, one young person, one, you know, like, that's, that's tragedy on tragedy that, Yep. oh, chills. And family members that, like, weren't even in the film, right. but died around, like, during filming or, like, right as filming started. It's just, that's a lot. So, moving on from that list of deaths, there is an actual murderer that is on film in this movie. What? Yep. 
So you might be asking, first of all, in what scene? Because I know I did, so I'm gonna start there. Okay. In 1972, Billy Friedkin went to the NYU radiology department and watched them perform a procedure that was essentially taking pictures of the blood vessel in someone's brain. He looked at it, he was like, wow, that's pretty gruesome, hell yeah, let's put it in a movie. And that ended up being in The Exorcist. So they included that scene and filmed said scene with real doctors who were working in that field. So there's a scene where um, Reagan's mom takes her to a hospital and they're doing this procedure to her in the hospital. That is an actual procedure with real doctors who do that. Interesting. So Barton Lane was the angiography doctor who performed the procedure in the scene. Friedkin wanted anyone performing the procedure that day to also be in the movie, including a technician named Paul Bateson. Barton Lane stated that he worked with Bateson on almost a daily basis for four years. He described him as quiet and very nice to patients, because they usually are. They usually are very nice people. So let's talk about the murder. As we've previously stated, I'm not going to go into complete details because we're not a true crime podcast and I never want to be. But I want to mention the victim, what happened, and give kind of an overview so that we have it. Addison Verrill, who was a reporter who covered the film industry for Variety, was found dead in his apartment. He had been severely beaten and stabbed multiple times. One villager reporter named Arthur Bell noted that this looked like an assailant that the victim knew. Well, Arthur Bell gets a phone call from an anonymous person who states, quote, I killed Addison Barrel. The caller stated he wasn't a psychopath, but was an alcoholic, and that this was a crime of passion. The caller went on to say that he hit Verrill over the head with a pan and stabbed him in the chest in his own apartment. The caller also mentioned he'd never be able to, quote, practice again, if he got caught, which, okay. disgusting. Okay, yeah. you're only worried about what's happening to yourself after you committed a heinous fucking crime, but okay. This call eventually led police to Paul Bateson, who was the technician in that scene, and Paul was taken into custody where he eventually confessed to the crime. But he's still in the movie. That scene is still in the movie. Why so. did he do it? So basically, there were drugs and alcohol involved, and a little bit of rejection, and he was senselessly murdered by Bateson because of that. Ridiculous. So so let's talk about how The Exorcist and other similar movies are impacting exorcisms today, because they have and probably will continue to do so. That's actually crazy to think about. There's actually been an uptick in exorcisms. Of course there has been. Some of that might be fueled by possession-based horror movies, all of which branch from The Exorcist. It's honestly just Zach Baggins, but (laughs) go off. When an exorcist tells someone they want to, quote, speak to the demon, those impacted will give them the demon the best way that they know how. So with all of this media showing demon possession... Not the voice. It's easier. Not the voice. (laughs) Not the voice. Oh god. These people would not have heard about these things without that media. So, you know, it's it's more far-reaching. Movies like The Exorcist also advertise that if an exorcism is done correctly, it could work. So, more people are asking for them. Enter Vincent Bauhaus, an exorcist that was interviewed for the Cursed Films um, Exorcist episode. Mm. The show showed a couple 
different people with different stories who were going to be exercised or who were exercised in the show. Uh, a woman who was cursed by, quote, witchcraft. Special mention that I don't condone witchcraft being talked about like this half the time. It's ridiculous. I'm just giving the gods funfetti cupcakes, not summoning Satan. Right. So Satan doesn't even exist in this I realm, hate it. But... I hate that witchcraft is used in that context, but go off, Christians. A man who, quote, worshipped the devil and played within a Ouija board every day for four years. During his exorcism, they made him, quote, renounce witchcraft, which, why? <laughs> what? None of that has anything to do with... Oh my god. I don't understand. And um, a man who was affected by demons because of childhood trauma, basically. So Vincent does exorcisms with all of these people. The, like, holding his hand on their head and quoting prayer. Um... You know, if you see it in a movie, what he does is very similar. Vincent does exorcisms with all of these people, and it seems to, quote, work, or they schedule additional exorcisms and move on with their lives. There's, like, a whole segment of some dude, like, counting his money out on the counter and giving it to him after an exorcism. Why? I don't like this, this segment of the show because it feels very icky to me, but I did want to talk about it because the increase in exorcism thing is very interesting, and the fact that all of these people kind of have a different thing going on and think that they need an exorcist and this guy is, like, doing them is very interesting. <laughs> uber for exorcisms like you just like book him and he comes around that's what it seemed like i'm including this because it made me laugh he then stated something about how children can be quote spiritually affected by watching a horror movie no no thank you you see that lady talking about hocus pocus 2 no there's a texas mom who's going around saying that hocus pocus 2 lets demons into your home oh great isn't that really funny that's so nice it's like that did you watch the movie sister like it's so wholesome it's, like what are you talking about it doesn't about? even there's no demon just bet midler demon. like trying to feel something and they're like it's demons <laughs> like what okay fucking can't with this people mm-hmm. so that pretty much covers everything from A to B, why everyone thinks it's cursed. Do I think it's cursed? I don't know that it, the curse is what I would call it. Do I think it's affected by everything that's associated with it? Actual deaths, murders, the vibes that were occurring on Do set? Do I think that yeah. saying the name and then breaking people's spines was a good idea? No. Definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely. Ugh. Yeah, so... Well, now I know more than I'd wanted to know. You're welcome. Thanks for that. I really appreciate that. As we say on this podcast, if you like something, don't research it. Literally. Because it's going to ruin the thing for you. I do recommend that if you um, like the practical effects type horror, if you like demon possession type horror, and you haven't seen The Exorcist, which would be kind of hard because it's a cult classic, watch it. It's a good movie. I think it's worth seeing for what it what it is and seeing how well it's aged because it does still look really good but it is hard to watch it when you know what you know yeah definitely watching it now i feel like would be harder being like oh those are real like that's a real thing yeah oh that's so scary i um we don't have any more episodes where we really get to talk about horror movies uh in our odd october so i did want to give you space here to maybe recommend some of your more favorite ones that have to deal with this kind of stuff that isn't The Exorcist, if you have any. I particularly do enjoy the Conjuring series. 
I don't think it's as scary as The Exorcist or like even meant to be as scary. I If you watch them knowing what they are and knowing like they're basically propaganda, they're way more easier to consume in my opinion to be like, all right, like chill church, like it'll be fine. Um, but I do enjoy them. I like their effects and I think they have some really fun spooky moments. I have two hot takes about this. Go off. My first hot take is that I like watching the movies about the Ed and Lorraine Warren uh, extended universe, as I like to call it. Yeah. But I don't like Ed and Lorraine Warren. I, I don't like spreading their propaganda. Yeah. Maybe I'll talk about them someday, eventually. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I don't like them, and I don't support them. And I it's hard why. to watch those movies knowing what I know about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Sure. I also don't really like demon possession movies, if I'm honest with you, no. because... Um, like we were saying earlier, that whole Christian Mm -hmm. demon porn, it doesn't, they don't appeal to me because I know that there's going to be some priest who shows up, who's abusing some kid, who's tied to a bed, who in reality, this person was probably really struggling and needed help. And instead of getting them real help, they chose to pick religion over actually taking care of a fucking child. And it makes me angry. Well, yeah, but welcome to the last uh, 2,000 years of... Uh, we didn't even, like, really start taking mental health seriously until, what, 2012? Right. Yes. 2013, Yeah, I so. mean, this is just a tiny splinter... Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...of the whole mental health debacle. Yeah, yeah. 100%. But when it comes to my flavor of horror, this yeah. ain't it. No, you're like, give me the Hershey's chocolate as blood type. Yeah, or yeah. like, give me a good slasher where some dude yeah, is yeah. needlessly killing people that I don't like. Like, I just... I get that. The whole, like, I don't like exorcisms. I don't... I, I know that. that people like them in movies and think they're spooky fun. I don't think they're spooky fun. I know too much. Yeah. I am too enlightened. Yeah. The spooky fun has been taken from See, me. See, that's where I think I like them because I'm, like... I know what's going on, so they don't scare me okay. as much. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, oh, that's a mentally ill person. Yeah. Look at that. Like, what, am I scared of myself? Not nah, baby. Like, we know what it is. The AC in this economy? <laughs> All right, goodness. Well, that's our side. We gotta go. Yeah. Well, now that we've been on both of our soapboxes, and I could definitely <laughs> rant about this for literally yeah, me ever... Too. Thanks for listening to this fun episode that probably ruined your nice time, because I know it ruined mine. (laughs) Um, And uh, stay odd, Arcadia.